Are you tired of tracking your calories and points? Are you sick of feeling crappy in your body or in your clothes? Are you drowning in constant food and body thoughts? Do you feel like you're always negotiating exercise and food with yourself? If any of these sound familiar, you aren't alone. And the Diet Riders membership is the perfect place for you to learn how to drop dieting, pick back up your life, reclaim your thoughts, and your health. Join now by clicking the link in the description box below to get support and guidance along other women in this community. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Diet Ride Podcast. I'm Alyssa Miller. And I'm Brooke Miller, and we're both dietitians. Both mamas. Both from the Midwest. Both live in Denver. And we have a special guest today. Whoop, whoop. We have Meredith with us. Um, and so we'll turn it on over to her to introduce herself. And we have a really fun topic we're going to be talking about today. All about college, binge drinking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Freshman talking about 15. binge drinking. <laughs> Freshman 15. Um, it's going to be just throwing us back to our glory days, man. <laughs> We're so excited Meredith's here. So, Well, and all about how the the college, I love how you said, we're talking about binge drinking today. What's your favorite alcohol? Um, we're talking all about how those kind of like, it kind of starts in college, kind of these mindsets around our dieting behaviors, kind of disordered eating and what's normalized in college and how we bring that into our adult life. And um, uh, Meredith is the expert. So we'll throw it over to you, Meredith. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and how you got into this intuitive eating space. Yeah, that was like the best intro of all time. <laughs> We're also true. doing shots. I don't know. <laughs> For the record, we are all drinking water and yes. tea, and it is yep. three or three p.m. my time, two p.m. y'all's time. But um, yes, my name is Meredith Renshaw, and I am a registered dietitian. Also, um, and I work. I'm located in Memphis, Tennessee, but my practice is virtual, and I work with women um, from an anti-diet lens at Health at Every Size and eating disorders um, as well, and help women to learn intuitive eating, what it looks like um, to practice food freedom and to really feel confident and healthy in their body without having to change it. Um, and a lot of times it looks like learning what body respect is and self-compassion and stress management, all of the things. Um, but my background, um, I, I am not in college. I also feel like I should say that since we're talking about college. <laughs> At the but, top, none of um, us are in college anymore. <laughs> I was in college once and that's how I know that all of this is really relevant and really real. Mm. Um, but I, so I went to my um, dietetic internship at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. I'm Nashville native. I'm from there. Um, I got my first job straight out of my internship at Vanderbilt University. And I was the registered dietitian for the undergrad college students. And it was really, really neat job because I was the first dietitian there. There was actually not one before me. And I worked with a bunch of non-dietitian coworkers. Mm -hmm. And my boss was like, all right, well, you know, your first day do a dietitian's do <laughs> I graduated I like a month ago and like <sighs> just took my exam like I don't even know what's going on and so that was a really cool opportunity that I got to make the job whatever I wanted mm -hmm. and I love love talking to people like I knew I wanted to do something in counseling I didn't necessarily know private practice is where I was going to end up but knew I really wanted to to talk to college kids and spend time with them and I didn't know what that looked like um and so I opened up that 
you know, these college kids could do, um, like nutrition counseling with me and could come talk to me with their, you know, food questions and problems and things like that. And unexpectedly, I got a like wave of college students in my office, like over and over and over again. And it was honestly very similar stories, like the same stories over and over again of just stress around food and like trying to manage their relationship with food and these expectations and um, the relationship with exercise and not knowing what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, all of these things. And just the stress of like leaving high school and like entering into this new place um, and having to navigate that on their own with all of these expectations. And uh, I think I just started to really realize, even reflect back on my own time in college of, wow, like these are so many things that I struggle with in college as well. And I didn't have someone to help me navigate that, but so much of this is like normalized. Um, and so kind of like fast forward, I ended up moving cause I got married. And so I had to leave my beloved job at Vanderbilt. Um, but I knew that this is still what I wanted to do. Like I still wanted to have conversations with people about having a healthier relationship with food and giving them this doorway to like really step into making nutrition and their relationship with food their own in a really healthy way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up in private practice. So here I am. That is so cool that you got to step into a job and make it your own straight <laughs> out of your internship. <laughs> And they didn't have to move terrifying. for your internship. <laughs> yeah, terrifying. Also terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And so, yeah, I'd love to like dig into this a little bit more. Um, maybe, and I just realized this, maybe we can unpack. So when you say relationship with food and their body, what do you mean when, when we say that? Because Brooke and I say this all the time too, and I'm thinking like, oh, we should probably break that down. I actually mm -hmm. said something funny on my Instagram the other day of like, for I also have an Instagram, Mom and Me or D, where I talk about picky eating because I kind of see that as like the first step into pressure around food. And I talked about like, oh, we need to make them feel safe around food. And this mom was like, what do you mean safe? Like broccoli's safe. And I was like, oh, I really need to like clarify. So maybe can you unpack for us? What do you mean when you say relationship with food and relationship with your body? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's a great, I mean, even the term safe as so many people think like, oh, so like food that you don't choke on, which yes, yes is an yes. aspect of that. Right. But, like, it's an onion. There's like a lot more layers yes. than that. Um, so relationship with food, I mean, to I feel like that's a complex thing, but totally. to break it down is like, it's very, very like deeply personal and individualized to each person. Um, and it's, it's made up of our past experiences, um, whether those are positive or negative and traumatic experiences, but the way that we relate to food, the way that we use food, the way that food makes our body feel, um, which I think in so much of our practices, we end up talking about mindfulness and people mm -hmm. are like, what does that mean? Like, mm -hmm. so I just like have to sit in silence and like, just like, yeah. you know, meditate while I eat. And that is like, certainly not it, but it's, it's understanding and knowing like how your body relates to food. And like, really, I think that's, what's hard about nutrition because it is so personalized. Everyone's going to have a different, different definition to that, but, um, eating what makes your, your body feel good and understanding kind of the way that you relate to food, the way that food makes you feel. And that comes from past experiences. It comes from the present and like what you're trying to air quotes accomplish with food um, and your intentions behind that. And then also where, where you want to go with food, like where you want your relationship to move toward. And so I really think sort of this relationship to food is like 
past, present and future in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. I say that even thinking because so many of my clients come to me to fix their relationship with food so that it does not pass on to future generations, which I know that you guys like are super familiar with and I am not a mother. And so I know that you guys feel that even to like a different level of allowing that to pass on future generations um, and having that healthy relationship. So um, a very complex, complex thing, but Mm -hmm. different for everybody. I love that answer so much. It's true though. I mean, even if you just relate it to our relationships with each other, like I'm going to have a different relationship with Brooke as you're going to have with Brooke because we have different history and we have a different present and we have a different future. And so, you know, that's really such a great way to kind of put it. And it it's all based in, there's so much input in our relationship with food, our accessibility, what we have, like truly what our experiences are, what our parents' experiences with food are, which is all true and relevant in actual relationships with other humans too. And I just thought that'd be a good place to start because we we all focus and talk about that so much. It's good to like set that out the top. This is what we mean. Having a positive and healthy relationship with food is so imperative when we are able to make these choices. Um, so I'd love for you to talk more about this. Like, what do we see happening in colleges that is normalized? And what have you picked up on that not only becomes normalized in college, but then also can, follows them right into this like real world adult world outside of college it's all the real yeah but yeah and I I love what you said about the relation and I I have talked about that before on my Instagram of like if your relationship to your body and to food is very similar to your relationship to a person or someone that you're in a relationship with a spouse significant other or whatever and if you're constantly berating that and trying to change it and it's full of tension and anger it's not going to be this cohesive effortless relationship, it's going to have a lot of stress in our relationship to our, to our bodies and to food is exactly the same. So I love that you said that. Um, so much head nodding right now yeah. between me and Brooke. And so to answer your next question, um, a lot of, a lot of things that happen in college, I found that were really normalized and students would come into my office and, and start talking about these behaviors that they had or um, quick fixes or, or things that they decided to do. And I would really have to break down that like, that's a really disordered pattern or that is a really um, harmful habit to have, um, that it was, it was absolutely new news to them like they it was so normalized in college um that they really struggled to 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 separate themselves from that because I think it's one of those things it's like you you just run with the crowd like oh everybody's doing this so I'm I'm gonna do it too and a lot of those that's gonna look like um even something as simple as like skipping meals or drinking coffee for breakfast or coffee for lunch for that matter um, Guilty. not eating, not eating after a certain time. Um, and, and kind of that really black and white thinking of, um, if you're, if you're good during the weekdays, then you can earn your weekend. Like that was a really big one. And honestly, that's a big one, even outside of college. Um, but like eating a specific way for a certain number of days, like, like a detox or a cleanse, things like that. Um, really like inflexible meal times too, like not being able to be flexible. Cause in college, I feel like there's so much, you have so much on your plate. There's like so many obligations. You're part of social clubs and um, school obligations and projects and you know all of the things and, and not being able to be flexible with your food choices and, and meal times and things like that. Um, really like rigid um, 
like just rigid thinking when it came to that. Um, binge drinking was a huge one and sort of the like repercussions around binge drinking. So, um, you know, binge drinking, making up for it the next day, excessive exercise, um, restricting certain foods, going on a diet. I mean, I, I don't know how long we have, I could keep going, yeah. but there's, those are just some of them that, um, became like really, really popular. I felt like, and a lot of people didn't realize when they, um, were really good on Friday so that they could binge drink that night and then just eat salad on the weekend. And, you know, that, or on the Saturday after drinking that that was a really disordered habit to be in because everyone else was doing it. Exactly. 100%. You have like no idea how disordered it is until you get out of it. And something that I saw a lot with myself and other college students was I would save my calories for that night. Like I would say, Oh, I'm going to binge drink tonight. I'm going to have five margaritas and four beers. Like I'm going to get drunk. So that means that I'm eating, you know, I'm drinking all of these calories. So that means I can't eat during the day. And guys, it's not smart to binge drink, but it's not smart to binge drink on an empty stomach. And it's like, we just set ourselves up for failure. And then of course we would, we would restrict all day and then binge at night. And that's where we would be drinking heavily. And then we would binge on burritos or pizza or the first thing we saw. And so you're right. It's the like the first thing oh, we saw 100%. It's well, it's just so normalized, you know, it's like so normalized to think that like, we can just ignore our body and binge drink because that's what everybody else is doing. And then it's normal to skip breakfast and lunch because that's what everybody else is doing. And it's normal to, even when you're hungover, try to work out to try to burn off what you ate the, the, the night before. And at the end of the day, had we just been intuitive eaters in college, we probably would have stopped drinking when we felt like that was enough. We probably would have eaten breakfast and lunch and dinner and gone out feeling much better. We probably wouldn't have binged um, as much at night because we didn't restrict so much during the day. So there's so much there to unpack, but I would love to hear more about what you saw in terms of, you know, the binge drinking part, but even like the freshman 15 that we hear so much and we're all terrified, you know, to have the freshman 15 happen when we enter college. I remember that was like the first thing as a freshman that you heard, you know, don't get the freshman 15 or you're a failure. Yeah. I feel like I started hearing that like junior year of high school, like prepare yourself for this. But, Mm -hmm. and I think, I mean, you make a great point because I think that the cycle, everything is a cycle. Like I feel like in so many ways and it's very, everything is connected. And so what I also feel like a lot of like rebuttal of like, okay, yeah. Like, I know that's like probably not like best for me. Like I shouldn't do that, but like, I'm not going to do this like after college. Right. And like, (laughs) yes, maybe your schedule looks different after college and maybe you don't have as much opportunity to like go out, but those patterns, like your brain is, it learns those habits. And so then it learns, oh, I eat a certain way during the week so I can do this on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And and that carries after college. Cause I think originally that was part of your question, Alyssa, was those things get carried on in those habits. Um, and then I think even yeah, going into college, the fear of this, if I gain weight, that means that I am a failure. Or if I gain weight, then I'm gonna be the talk of the town. Everyone's gonna talk about me and feeling mm-hmm. this like out of control. And I think, so much of going to college is trying to like create your identity essentially like who am I aside from like living under my parents roof and then 
you don't want that to be part of your college experience. And I'm doing air quotes for those that can't see me, but like, that's what everyone thinks is like, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. Not that one of the worst things that could happen to me is that my relationship with food in my body and my mental health and physical health all goes down the drain because you're trying so hard to control all these aspects of your life. Um, I, I don't even remember what your original part of that question was. I just remember you brought up the freshman 15 and, and how that, kind of that fear going into it sets you yes. up to, to do that, even if that mm -hmm. was never part of your like trajectory to begin with. And I think that's even part of like my own story of, I had this like super healthy relationship with food and the way that I related to food. Like I didn't, you know, food was celebratory. Food was really safe to me, all of the things until I got to college and I started to recognize that other people's weren't all that way. And then this talk of like gaining weight in college and eating in the cafeteria and late night eating and drinking and all these things. And it's suddenly like becomes this cultural norm slash this expectations. It, it, it's just super confusing. And to navigate that um, puts a lot of extra pressure on, on any college student, but specifically freshmen when they're like new and shiny and just got there. Yeah, yeah, I think your point here of like it being your first introduction for a lot of people of like new diets, right? Like for me, I traveled from Chicago to Colorado to go to college and I my roommate was from California. So we were coming from totally different perspectives and communities and cultures and backgrounds and our families and we had all these different things and we learned from each other different norms, quote unquote, of like what they thought about food or what they thought about their body or how they exercise. Like I remember for her, for my roommate, who I absolutely loved, if you're listening, but um, she was a, a daily gym goer to get on the elliptical. And her goal was always like 300 calories, like burn 300 calories, whatever that meant. And so then I picked that up and I started doing it. And I remember going with her at like 1am because the gym was open 24 hours because it's college campus, because we <laughs> didn't go earlier that day. So it was like, oh, let's go at 1am and then go out after or whatever. It was like so wild to think. And now I know my body well enough that if I exercise past 7.30 p.m., I am up all night. And in college, I was already up all night. But now I know because I've learned how my body responds. But that's such a good point of like, let's just take a few steps back and realize that college is not only, you know, this big experience for us and this learning opportunity, which is why you're going to college to learn, but a lot of like this social, it's the first time you're out of your parents' house. It's the first time you're buying your own groceries, possibly the first time you're cooking for yourself, the first time you're budgeting your own money. Like a lot of kids. And I think especially and unfortunately in American culture, college is like what they consider freedom. Like I'm finally out from underneath my parents. They were so strict. They were so this. And maybe parents didn't teach them how to cook. Maybe parents didn't teach them how to buy food. Maybe parents didn't teach them how to budget for food. You know, all these sorts of different things that weren't necessarily taught in the home. And then you're at college and you have to do it all yourself, or maybe you're part of a meal plan and you only have certain options. It, there's so much going on, not to mention the fact that a lot of us aren't finished growing into our adult bodies. I went to college at 17. My 17-year-old body will never and should never be the same as my 35-year-old body. And I think we put so much pressure on this freshman 15 where you're like, well, yeah, my hips hadn't even developed yet. <laughs> like I wasn't even a, a woman in my woman body. I was still going through puberty and a lot of us are. And we forget that that's part of it. It's not even necessarily the binge drinking or the dieting mentality or all this stuff, but we have so much fear wrapped up in basically our body still developing and still learning how to make decisions that feel good to us. There's so much packed into such a short period of time. And you're exactly right. We're all just focused on this like 
weight gain, like fear of weight gain. And then we make decisions out of fear instead of out of what feels good and what honors our body. We're making decisions out of fear, which often leads us down this route of dieting, you know? And I just, I just remember being so overwhelmed with like, how do I cook food and what food is good? And how do I like everything from managing the inventory of food to just ordering a pizza because it's easier, right? Like So much going on there of truly having this first like taste of freedom. So And I loved what you said here about like skipping meals and how we then bring that into adulthood because this is like even normalized in young adults, especially like right out of college of like having coffee for breakfast. And now there's even diets out there that support this idea of just having coffee for breakfast and all you need to do is add butter to it. And then it really is a breakfast and you're fine. And all this stuff to kind of build on the normalization that we had in college. So do you see that a lot where you see this like kind of pattern of diet culture attacking people right out of college, like, oh, let's just build on that and add more to your plate. Oh, absolutely. I have several of my clients. I mean, a good handful is whether I've worked with them since they were in college and now they're yo pros, young professionals. Absolutely. That follows through. And I think, um, again, like I said, it becomes this habit of, oh, I, I, I've never had breakfast. I I do fine without breakfast, but then they're Mm. really confused why they, they binge at night or, Mm. you know, why they're really hungry at 10 30 PM. And so, I mean, I think absolutely those patterns carry through. Um, and I think even as a young professional, I mean, I think as humans, we're great at adapting, but it takes time. But if you don't know what to change or what to adapt to, that can be really challenging. So if you've adapted to not having breakfast or you've adapted to working through lunch, like that's going to become the norm, but then it it manifests in different ways. It manifests to you being out of control and super hungry and wanting to eat the entire charcuterie board at happy hour and being confused why that's happening. But when we really, when we really put all the cards on the table, we understand like, Oh, you skipped breakfast and you had, you know, a yogurt for lunch and then you're like confused why you're super hungry at happy hour at 530 and feel like out of control around, you know, these foods and things like that. So I think just those patterns continue. Um, they just look different. They look different from college and classes and partying and binge drinking and things like, and, you know, 24 hour gyms and stuff like that. It might not look exactly like that, but those habits still stand true of, you know, if I'm good Monday through Friday, I can eat whatever I want on the weekends. I just have to start back strict on Monday and things like that absolutely carry through into young professionals. Um, but also into later years. I mean, I have clients that are in their fifties and still struggle to understand their hunger cues and struggle to understand why they feel out of control around food or, um, and uncomfortable in their bodies and things like that. And Who's to say that the fear of freshman 15 when they were a senior in high school didn't influence that. And this, oh, I will be thought less of and I will be looked at differently or made fun of or or whatever if I gain this weight. And that absolutely will Mm -hmm. not happen. And I'll do everything I have to to make sure that doesn't happen. That that carries through for years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that like, I think it's so strong. Yeah. And I think it's hard to question 
what you've now internalized and normalized and what you said, like adapted to, because it was like you, it's just this huge transition in your life where you're no longer typically, you're no longer necessarily like living at home or have, you know, other influences. It's just like this college lifestyle where everyone's just trying to like patchwork it together and be like, I'm an adult now. See, it looks good. And you're like, wait, and you don't actually have time or energy to like step back and actually question what's becoming normalized in you. Like, like you said, and you're going and you're going and you're going, you have a lot going on. You're excited about a lot. And you know, you're like looking around, seeing what other people are doing. And now you've created these habits of skipping meals, of having coffee instead of exercising late in the evening or, uh, you know, trying to make up for something. And it's really hard for us as human beings. And I've seen this with all of our clients, members, ourselves, of to take a step out and actually question why we're doing something, right? It becomes this habit and it is actually harder to view it in yourself than it is in other people. And I just, I I would love to hear how you recommend for people that come to you, whether it's your clients or whatnot, come to you and say, okay, how do you get them to realize or question what their experience is? And like, okay, but why have you, you know, done X, Y, or Z year? Is that helpful? What are kind of the first steps there for people to actually like self-actualize and ask themselves some of those questions? Mm-hmm. I think the first thing that even I want to say for any like listeners is to not take this conversation with this blanket of guilt for you doing that mm-hmm. because it's not your fault. And you're not alone in that. And I think that can be comforting in a way of knowing like, okay, I'm not the only one struggling with this. Like we would not be talking about this on a podcast if you were the only one struggling with this. And so you're not alone. And that is a result of what our culture has has convinced you of. That's not your roommate's fault. That's not your mom's fault. That's not, you know, whoever mentioned freshman 15. Mm-hmm. It's this culture. It's so much better bigger. And so I would Mm. never want anyone to hear this conversation and and feel guilt for, oh, I do drink coffee for breakfast, or I do eat really different during the weekdays versus the weekend. And and there's no fault in that. Um, One of like the, the biggest parts of intuitive eating, I mean, literally where the name comes from is listening to your body. Um, And I would say like one of the first things that I want people to do is just build awareness and like be curious and ask themselves like, where did I learn this? Okay. So I, I exercise, you know, six days a week. Where did I learn that that was, it was what I should do. Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of the asking question of like, does that, does that make my body feel good? Or does my, do I feel like I have aches and pains? Like, I mean, I think the best way to get anywhere is curiosity like stay curious always and forever. Um, and that goes way beyond just like intuitive eating, but staying curious and asking yourself questions of where did I learn this? How does this make my body feel? Um, because so much of intuitive eating is not listening to external factors. It's listening to your own body, which sure maybe sounds really easy, but can be really hard if everything you've ever tried to do with food or with your body has come from an external factor. Um, so that would be any sort of like food rules or, you know, eating after a certain, you're not allowed to eat after a certain time or certain, you know, food groups or things like that. And I think the, the biggest part about that is trying to recognize the difference between an external cue and an internal cue. Like what did I learn from the world and from culture or from someone else asking me to do that versus what is my own body asking for? And I think that can go into exercise, food, rest, like, I mean, any, any part of that. And so 
it sounds like easy, but to like, be curious, like uh, ask yourself the questions of where did I learn this? Absolutely. I love that. Mm-hmm. Brooke and I talk about getting curious a lot. It It's such a great lens to bring forward. Right. Yeah. I love that. Is there any other um, major trends that you saw in college that you were able to help um, women kind of work through? like some easy, tangible tips that we can give to anybody who is resonating with this, who are like, Hmm, okay. I'm struggling with a little bit of like that all or nothing mentality of if I be really good on the, on the weekdays, then I can binge on the weekend and I can have cheat meals. So again, it may not look like binge drinking until 2am anymore, but like what were some thing major trends that you saw that you were able to help women overcome, um, that you could kind of share some, some tips with. Yeah, specifically, I mean, college, but really anybody can take this tip would be Mm -hmm. that diet culture detox for sure. That is like one of the biggest things you can do from the beginning, because we're such a product of what we are exposed to and what we consume. And that's not just through our mouths, that's through our eyes and our ears, like everything that we're constantly consuming. And what I found is so much of that age, but really a lot of the world is, is really consumed with social media and what, and what we're taking in. And so that diet culture detox being you know, removing things that are really triggering, removing, unfollowing people that do the what I eat in a day, or this is, you know, how you eat if you want to stay under 1200 calories and, and things like that. So people that are really, because again, that as you're being curious, you will recognize, oh, that is an external factor. If I believe I need to eat under a certain amount of calories, where did I learn that? I learned that from this YouTube influencer So removing that, like really taking that out. Um, But I also think that comes with replacing it with other things. I think that comes with replacing with things that I'll go through like Marie Kondo way of like, does this bring joy? Like, does this spark joy in me? And if you find that you're constantly being triggered by other people's bodies on social media, other people's food choices, um, other people's exercise habits, whatever it might be that's likely not sparking joy. And so replacing it with things that do, and that doesn't have to be just intuitive eating accounts like ours. Um, but it can be like dog accounts, like funny meme accounts. It can be like, I'm super into, um, like home interior accounts or, you know, just things like that, that, that do spark joy. And that as you're scrolling through your feed, you don't set your phone down feeling defeated and less than, and, um, feeling like you need to take action in regards to changing your body, changing what you're eating, going to the grocery store, buying these things. If you feel like you have to take action right after, um, that's usually like a sign that you might not want to be following those people. So that's a big one. Um, but I also think understanding and knowing like just to embrace a lot of the things that we are talking about, if you really want to like walk away from diet culture, that can sound and be really scary but I think an important thing to know is you don't have to be 100% ready for that like if you resonate with this and you're like that that there's no way that's possible for me like there's no way that I could get to a place where I believe what they're talking about you're not alone because a lot of people mm-hmm. believe that's not true but if you think about it, we're all born intuitive eaters we, we came mm-hmm. out the womb an intuitive eater mm-hmm. And we learned somewhere along the way not to be. And so it's, it's in all of us. You just have to nourish that. And quite literally, you have to nourish that um, and allow that to like sprout. And so I think you don't have to be 100% ready. You just 
I think if you, if you recognize that like there is more to what you're currently doing and there is like a life that offers more freedom when it comes to the way that you treat your body and the, your relationship to food, um, you don't have to be hundred percent ready. You, you figure it out as you go. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row to get to, to go there and to get started and to ask questions. Um, and I think that was a huge thing, especially with this population They could recognize sometimes that this isn't healthy and this isn't really what I want, but like, I don't think I'm ready for like that. Like, I don't think I can totally just give up what I have currently. And I think I want to like lower that expectation that you have to be like, just ready to give up everything that you know, and, you know, give up all things that feel safe to you to like enter into this new world of intuitive eating and food freedom. But like the door is always open and you can always, you can start that even if you don't feel like you're ready or like you can ask questions about it, if that makes sense. So I feel like that diet culture detox and also that piece of knowledge of knowing you don't have to be hundred percent ready. Like you figure it out as you go and you can't fail. You, you cannot fail. Yeah. The best part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the way you put that. Cause I think I, I'm for sure that way. And, and we've talked about this before, but even humans just in general, uh, the brain science behind humans, we love systems. We love algorithms. We love two plus two equals four. And we want that systematic kind of belief and, and that cyclic, um, it's, it's very addicting as humans. It feels way too overwhelming to just be like floating in open water. Like I have nothing to hold on to or agree with or follow. Like if someone could give me a printout and a list and a checklist of intuitive eating, I would, I would do it. I'm like, yes, I would love that. It's not how it works. And it's really sad for people like me who are type A and want the spreadsheet and wants the checklist and all the things. But, and that can feel really daunting to say, okay, I'm going from this lifestyle where I know what my life looks like. And I I know, you know, what I can and can't eat and I know what I can and can't do with my body or what I should be doing and all these things. I have these specific goals of minutes and times and calories and numbers and all these things to like, you just want me to wing it. Free float. (laughs) Yes, free float. Exactly. It feels really overwhelming and daunting. And I love the way you said that and and kind of brought my attention there where it's like, yeah, you don't have to be 100% ready. I wasn't 100% ready. I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't know exactly how to do it. And you can't fail. Such a great point where it's like, you literally are not on or off intuitive eating. You are not Mm. having to get back on the wagon or anything. You know, with dieting, it's so either black or white, on or off, failing or succeeding. And in reality, in life and in intuitive eating, it's just not the way it works. We have days that we feel good and we have days where we (laughs) feel bad and we have days that our emotions are high and days where we're stable and, and that's how life works and that's how our hunger works and all these things. So instead, we learn how to ride that wave slowly, right? The door can be open and you can be like, dipping your toes into it and then kind of peering through it and then starting to take steps into it. It doesn't have to be like a cannonball into the deep end unless that works for you. (laughs) But for most of us, we need this kind of like slow transition. I usually do it like a visual of holding on to like a rope of like diet culture, right? Like we're holding on to it really tight, even though we hate it, we're still holding on to it because we know it and (laughs) it's our safety and, and we know where the edges are and where the rules are. And it's slowly taking one hand off and reaching onto this new intuitive eating way of life. And then eventually we can let go with our other hand and hold on to something new. And it takes time. And Brooke and I have never, ever like given anyone the perception that this is quick because mm-hmm. <laughs> it absolutely mm-hmm. takes time to question yourself on every little thing. And eventually the questions start big and big picture and then they get really small, right? And more like tuned in because you're more tuned in with your body. And then it becomes second nature. And that's where really like the magic starts to happen. 
Um, but I, I love this conversation around like, because literally like when you were like oh you're not alone I was like no you're not alone because even just you explaining some of these things I was like brought back to my own college days like absolutely that was happening left right center and in me for sure so I think it's just so normal which is really unfortunate (laughs) do you have any like tips or suggestions we do actually have a few members um, in our membership who are in college right now. Um, now, of course they're doing, most of them are doing like zoom school, (laughs) but do you have any recommendations if you're in it, if you're like either going to college or you're in college, how can, what can you do? Like in this situation, you're surrounded by it. What can you do to, um, kind of hold your ground, I guess? Yeah, I would recommend that diet culture detox for sure. I think, um, this is hard. This is a hard one. Yeah. But I think that so much of this grows in isolation. It grows in the mm. dark and everyone feels mm. like they are alone in this. And so mm-hmm. if possible, somehow being in community about this topic in a be- like whether that's finding friends that believe the same thing as you finding one friend asking for yeah. help seeing a dietitian being a part of a membership or in some sort of community where this is a constant conversation and i think again ex- exposing yourself to more of that on social media because we are that, a product of that um and i think i think there's some statistic of like you are a product of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that does not mean you have to ditch your five best friends if they feel this way. But I think kind of having that mindset is also helpful. Of Like, I believe these things because all the people around me believe these things. And so mm-hmm. if in some way you can have an extension, that that rope that you're talking about, if you can grab onto something that offers you some hope, I mean, and people like us, we have free free support, free content on social media, like constantly. That's part of our our job is to provide that free content. And so I think spending time in that and exposing your, just to yourself more um, can be super helpful. I think another part of that is staying curious and, and really like feeding yourself regularly, which sounds so crazy, but having those regular meal patterns, understanding and knowing like it is not going to benefit me in any way to skip a meal or mm-hmm. it is not, you know, it's not going to nourish me. It, whether it's like a mental nourishment, emotional nourishment, relational nourishment, whatever, like you need to be nourished in all of these ways. And so I think mm-hmm. part of that is going to be the community and then actually nourishing yourself through food. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's hard. I love um, that. But You've given like a ton of really tactical tips. Yes, so we appreciate that. We love, know our listeners one, do too. One way that I even explain it to my clients is like, by I love the rope that you said. I hadn't really thought of it that way. I will tell people like, I am not expecting you to get off of your training wheels and get on my Harley Davidson. Like that is mm, yeah, not yeah, the yeah. expectation. It totally, is like, yeah. I'm going to teach you how to ride this bike with training wheels and then we're going to take one off and then we're going to take another one off and you're going to go slow and then we're eventually in a great if you get to harley davidson that will be awesome but like it is a slow 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 process and so i also just encourage anyone that is interested in this and wants to do that try to extend yourself grace at any point at all points every single day in every moment because Mm -hmm. it is also it is such a trial and error in so many ways and so i think um 
a lot of grace comes along with that. Like there's no way to fail and there's also no way to do it perfectly either. And so knowing that expectation from the beginning, um, because college kids are smart. College kids like have those checklists and they have the, the test Mm -hmm. and the, you know, and they do, they're, they're incredible. And so I think in so many ways they want this to be tangible, um, as we all do as humans. And so I think going into it, knowing it is going to be a grace filled situation, and you, you can't do it perfectly, but you also can't fail. And there's not a lot of things in our world that you can say all of that about. Totally. So, so true. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to live in that middle ground, right? I mean, it it's just hard. and But it's so, so worth it, the freedom that you feel um, in your relationship with food or your body or anything, you know, to live in that middle ground of saying, I'm, I'm not going to fall victim to the black or white mentality. My life is different than yours. Keep my eyes on my own paper kind of life. Um, I love that. So I think that's those are really great tips. Um, anything else before we wrap up here? I, I, I want to hear anything else you have to say but I also want you to let our listeners know where they can find you online um clearly she's got a lot of really powerful insight into especially this time in this area of life and how this can really bleed into our adult lives so um I think that's really amazing I would highly recommend following her um so anything else you'd like to say and if not then share with us where we can find you on social um, I think I shared all that I have just in gave us your all <laughs> everybody to know you, you're not alone. You're, you're not alone in that yeah. journey. Um, and to remember that our bodies are brilliant. Our bodies, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell this to my clients all the time. Our bodies have like two, two big purposes for the most part. That is survival mm-hmm. and to avoid pain. And so anything Mm. that your body is communicating to us, it's going to come from one of those two places because obviously we avoid pain to survive. Um, Mm -hmm. And that goes all the way back to, you know, our caveman ancestors, but knowing that um, our bodies are really smart and they are in, they're on our team and they're in our corner and our bodies. If I think if you shift the mindset of thinking that your body is home, your body Mm -hmm. is a place to live um, not something to be berated and changed and controlled and micromanaged, but it is a place to live and a place to create home. Um, even knowing that information mm-hmm. makes me want to care about my home. And if I'm going to, mm-hmm. the difference between our actual homes and our bodies is that we can move out of our actual homes. We can't move out of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so to take care of it and whatever that looks like, um, think of it as a home and to take care of it. Um, but you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Meredith Wren, R-E-N. My last name is Renshaw, Meredith Wren dot R-D. Um, but Perfect. I follow you ladies and you follow me. And so you can always reach out to them too if you, if you need any help finding me. Yeah. And we'll link her down below. Man, I loved that. The way that you put that perspective of like, that makes me want to take care of my home, you know, and really what does caretaking look like? Oh, that's a beautiful way to end. Um, Thank you so much, Meredith, for coming on. We so appreciate it. It It's such a great conversation and just really powerful. So I'm um, so grateful that you came on and chatted with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, you guys. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week. See ya.